0: Culture has the power to delight, excite, and absorb us. It's a fundamentally human thing. From entertainment and music, to literature and art, culture gives us a sense of belonging and plays a vital role in enriching our lives. I'm Natty Katambala, and this is Super Culture, a Selfridges podcast series celebrating the importance of culture to each and every one of us. After a hugely challenging year for the creative industries, we're toasting to new beginnings by meeting remarkable people from a range of disciplines who are inspiring change, joy, and positivity in their artistic fields. We'll hear from them about their early influences and impactful moments that have gone on to shape them and their careers. In this episode, I'm joined by gallerist Ellie Pennick.
1: I'm Ellie Pennick. And I'm the director of Goats Gallery.
0: Thank you so much for joining me today, Ellie. Before we get into the deep stuff, um, I just wanted to ask, what comes to your mind when you hear the word culture?
1: Such an intense question to ask anybody. (laughs) (laughs) I'd say support system uh, where people can shoulder each other, identity and a safe space as well. Mm -hmm. Great answer. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, And you're someone who I think has done a lot to make changes and I guess kind of disrupt the art world, I would put it that way. But to go all the way back to the beginning, I'd love to hear about where it all started for you. So what was your first experience of art and culture?
1: So my mum and dad would take me to free museums because I'm from up north in Yorkshire. And I remember the first museum I went to was in Leeds. I remember walking in and I thought, is quite intense do you know what I mean like it was all these big masters paintings and everything so it didn't feel that accessible when walking in but I do remember sitting there and just being very impressed by you know the whole experience and it was so nice as well because it was free so you could just walk in which was really sweet and
0: what was your journey like I guess going from that first experience of art into actually becoming an artist was it always something you were into after that
1: yeah I mean at school you don't really like get pushed to you know towards studying art so that was like quite a tough one but I had a really great art teacher at school and I was going through a lot of shit at that time so they'd let me stay like in the room and like work there it's kind of like an outlet and they persuaded me to go to Leeds College of Art to study so then I moved to Leeds after a lot of people went to the local college but I think I was the only one in that year who went to Leeds then from Leeds I went on to Chelsea College of Art but the only reason I like, chose Chelsea was because I liked the building. I didn't even go visit it. <laughs> I looked on the pictures and I went, oh, that looks well nice. That. Yeah. So.
0: I mean, that's a
1: valid point. It, it to is be quite fair, a it's a nice. beautiful yeah. building. And it was an all right course as well in the end. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of art did you start out making? Uh, and were there any areas that you enjoyed more than others?
1: Well, I did quite political artwork. Have you seen the sculpture, the Theresa May... I mean, I've got a whole question of (laughs) it. I went very political because I I kind of... When I moved to London, it was a bit of a shock about, you know, the amount of money that was in London and the amount of money that people had. Like, as a kid, I literally thought there were two millionaires in the world. There clearly isn't. So when, you know, moving and then being in Chelsea and surrounded by these people, I didn't get angry... I just kind of wanted to get people to recognise their privilege in a way, I think, and say these are different people's backgrounds, like
0: I think you talked about um the kind of difference between like people saying that they were like broke or saying that they're they're poor. Yeah, yeah. Versus like the actual reality of that. Yeah,
1: yeah. That really frustrates me when someone's like your skin. Are you like are your skint where you've got hundred quid in your account or are you skin where you can't get food in your table? Like if you're gonna use skin, yeah. use it in the right context. You're not skin. You're right. Do you know what I mean it's it's infuriating. Absolutely. And I think
0: like the, like as you've touched on there, the culture of like where we grow up obviously plays such a massive part in who we become. Yeah, you're from the north, and more specifically, an ex-mining town. And so I guess I wanted to hear a bit more about what it was like growing up there and how you think it kind of shaped the way that you viewed the world afterwards.
1: Well, my dad's family, they were miners. So, you know, with the mining strike, that really affected the family and the community around us. We actually moved around to different towns that we've always like rented all of our lives, which has been quite fun, actually. But there's still, you know, the community has been affected so much and there's still a lot of poverty in pockets of the north that down south people don't realise about and they don't realise what's happened with the post Thatcher generation, which would be like my dad. Yeah. So I guess we're the post post Thatcher <laughs> <Yeah>. generation. <laughs> but it still affects it. And after, you know, the, the minds were... That was the main job. That's where everybody works. It's had a, a lasting effect even now.
0: You talked about uh, going to study at Leeds College. I guess I wanted to touch on your experience of the art scene when you first got to London, beyond just, I guess, like the class situation but also like the actual culture within UAL or within um, the city how did it compare to where you grew up and were there things that you liked most about it did you have any favorite places or experiences
1: yeah like I enjoyed moving to south London that was amazing you know because in Leeds my auntie lived near like Chapel Town and that was really great like Leeds is a great city and it is like a little London so I enjoyed the social life Mm -hmm. I enjoyed you know meeting people the university, it's great, but I think there has to be a lot more tutors from different backgrounds who are going in. Like, it needs to be shifted up massively. Mm. But you know what? I got the degree. Like, thank you, you well, but <laughs> yeah. a lot still has to change. But they are doing that yeah. slowly.
0: Of, of course, there's, like, what people see... Um, in terms of like a conventional in quotation marks route into the art world which has is tied up in all kinds of issues of class and yeah. privilege and connections um what was your experience like with that i guess leaving school and kind of moving into becoming an artist like did you feel like those roots were open to you
1: no to be an artist not a real job i <laughs> mean That's what, like, they're just like, oh, have fun, do you know what I mean? So in a few years, like, your job's still here, like, you want it, it's like... My parents were very supportive, they were like, do what you want, because they didn't go to uni and didn't get that chance. They were, they really were great, but yeah, it's not a job, really, from where I'm from. When I go back, I actually said to someone, um, I bumped into them and they were like, oh, you're well posh, you've been to uni, look at you, look at Sally Penick, she's been to uni, and I was like, oh, stop, like, literally, like...
0: (laughs) Um, and so what I guess what did you do to tackle that or what was your move to like circumvent those kind of like
1: structures in place? Being very vocal, being very gobby and crit, same what I think, but it was like fighting a brick wall to be honest. You don't really feel like you're getting anywhere. I guess along
0: those same lines to talk about your Theresa May sculpture. Um, What was the inspiration? I mean, I I can guess. (laughs) but What was the inspiration behind that? And I guess what kind of, what were you feeling at the time of creating that sculpture?
1: It was um, actually before Brexit. So at that point I kind of had to like guess which way it was going. So I thought, you know what, let's go with like this humorous aspect where people will get it. Like everyone gets humor, you know, a bit of sarcasm. It's accessible. Um, And I was looking at memes and then I saw one um, and it was her with like a bag of chips and a cig. I was like, that's brilliant. Started do some Googling, found like a foot size, size seven. (laughs) I went hard into this. (laughs) And then um, did this 3D model. Somebody helped me out with this. It wasn't life-size. It was like half of Theresa May because I figured out how tall she was as well. So it's like a half-size of Theresa May with her actual feet so it was like <laughs> giant feet all the proportions were a bit wrong um but yeah then I put her on a plinth so it was Theresa May with a Siggy in leather chaps strong and stable round her neck mm. all in pink oh the EU flag as well oh, yeah. yeah
0: amazing yeah and what was the reaction like to it versus what you were expecting it to be
1: I didn't think of it as shock art which everyone's like, come on, like, you must have thought a bit shocker. But I got quite a dry sense of humour. Mm. You know, I was on the phone with dad and I was like, I'm thinking of doing this. And he was like, oh, yeah, that's great. Like, go for it. It's our humour in our family. But yeah, the reaction was quite intense. Like, Twitter went a bit mad with it. Once it was on Twitter, it went, it went crazy. Mm. They were going after my mum and everything on Twitter as well. It got quite intense. Seriously? Yeah, but she's sassy, so it was all right. She had it down. <laughs> but that's when I was like, right, I got to get a thick skin. Anything that goes out on, on the internet, got out have thick and you got, you got to be able to take this because it's uh, quite intense. And so I guess you channeled your
0: frustrations further into that art sphere um, in a very unique way and kind of made strides to, I guess, make the culture a bit more accessible. Can you tell me a little bit about Guts Gallery and where the name came from?
1: Guts Gallery is a platform um, and support system and a community of artists. Um, at Guts Gallery, we support, you know, the newest generation of artists who historically would not get that opportunity. But also we support, like, younger collectors and collectors who wouldn't normally be able to access and buy artwork. What we say in our family is, go your gut feeling. And I like that, I was like, All right, but it's like you know having the guts to do something as well, which is really important. And I, went, oh yeah, I like it. Well, then, it's away guts, and that's just where it came from
0: and then what was the process like of actually setting it up after that?
1: So the reason i, I set it up was because i was um I applied to the r c a and got in supposed to get a scholarship, didn't. So that was the kind of, you know, the trigger to go, fuck all of you, basically. I'm going to do this. But also, like, it's recognising my privilege as well. Like, I am a white woman. There's other artists who do not have the opportunities that I do. So it was creating this platform and this support system to help artists who deserve that. I mean, it sounds easier said than done, but it, it really wasn't. Like I remember I moved to a pub started working in the pub. So I was living, working there in this little room and I started doing this project space up there. So it all kind of started then. It was like a really precarious like time. I didn't have a stable, you know, living situation. Couldn't go see us. Yeah, I feel a bit sorry for myself. Yeah. And I was like, snap out of it, like, come on. It was just like something that I enjoyed and then started reading business books and it went a bit mad. I
0: kind of saw that there was a kind of tech model inspiration as well behind how you set it up.
1: Yeah, yeah. These straight white men, they, they're they quite good at tech. <laughs> they're the ones who write all the books. And mm. I was like, right, I'm going to start reading a bit of this. And um, I applied it into the gallery model. So it's about how you can cut costs and start with such like a small amount of money, but make money quickly and in the fairest way possible. So, yeah, I just started reading about business and teaching myself and getting advice. At school, you're not even taught about taxes or invoicing or anything. Yeah, scary. Like, really scary. A lot of reading.
0: What's your process like when it comes to selecting new artists to champion? Because I think that sounds super exciting. And also, how do you discover new voices
1: and new talent? Instagram's the main one. I love Instagram. It's great. But there's so many artists out there that make it really hard for you. You're just like, God, I don't want to champion all of it. if I wish I had the resources. I met Elsa Rui on Hinge. That's how we first met. Great story. Never went on a date. Like one of the best matches I've ever had. (laughs) And my girlfriend, girlfriend and Elsa Rui, like amazing. Liv Sterling I met on Instagram. Corbin I met at a random show. He was really shy and he was like, I'm an artist. I'm like, show me your way. I was like, I was well good that. And he was like, it was just sweet, like these interactions that I've had. But it mainly was in person which is really sweet, like I like to meet them straight away. And what's
0: it been like to, I guess, build those relationships with them?
1: It's amazing. Like I have no contracts with anyone. I, I don't believe in contracts. It, it do not make any sense, it's too much pressure for an artist. Uh, it's all built on trust, and we build a community where we all support each other as well, which is so important. And I, I love it, I feel so lucky to do my job, to be honest. Like, they're all so great.
0: So by the time the COVID pandemic hit, you hadn't actually been launched for that long. So I wanted to hear a bit more about like, your first response when faced with that kind of situation and how you wanted to adapt.
1: You know, all these bigger galleries who were a bit older as well, like Fox, they are a different generation. They were like, ah oh, shit, cause we rely on a, a permanent space. And at that point, you know, we didn't have a permanent space. We still don't, but you know, we have semi-permanent spaces. Yeah. And the panic was, like, real. Like, I was watching it all and I was like, wow, like, look at this. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to go on Instagram. Like, let's put the shows on Instagram. Common sense, right? Just move it onto the internet. Yeah. Started selling work and doing, like, these shows on Instagram and doing, like, a PB launch, making it quite funny. Like, I don't know, it was a bit more lighthearted. We had these little graphics where it's like, oh, duck, you know, hinge matches there. Like, Elsa, do you know what I mean? Like, I had that bit of a... humour with it or pick up a, like a lukewarm beer and all that <laughs> which was quite nice and collectors really engaged with it especially younger collectors which was really cool and yeah we just carried on doing that and supporting people because I had artists ringing me going I am I am scared like I'm skint yeah. and I could sit there and do nothing or I can try and think of a way to get around it and also it's free Instagram's accessible so you use it as a tool yeah. You don't need to put loads of money into, you know, these weird Sims mock up things. Like don't be doing that.
0: Yeah, I think that's really interesting and like a huge benefit of younger and more diverse, like people getting involved and having have I guess having a say or a like a platform within the art world. You kind of have these new solutions to these old problems.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But also you're surrounded by people, you know, constantly who Give you these ideas, and they have the the problems. You have to find that, yeah, you have to find that solution for them. But it is a matter of like they're relying on this. That pressure is is a lot. Like sometimes I'm like, oh god, like, yeah, <laughs> the weight is on my shoulder with this. While we need to get their own in, but I'm really pleased that they managed to, you know, keep it going throughout the pandemic.
0: Obviously, something else that was prominent within the pandemic now known as Black Square Summer, mm-hmm. <laughs> the summer of our uh, discontent, which was obviously a particularly hard time for black people and brown people. What were your thoughts on, I guess, like the art world's response to what was going on last year
1: in June? I remember I put, your silence will be remembered. Is expected. I wasn't shocked. I think to say shocked, that's naive, do you know what I mean? That's privilege in itself. There was a lot of... um Unlearning and learning, recognising privilege, recognising, you know, white people are gatekeepers in the art world as well. Hand over those keys, hand it over, like it's important now. You know, there was a lot of um, people trying to talk to black and brown people, asking for their advice. No, read a book. There's a massive problem. Let's find the solution. You know, stand up, say what you think, and yeah, silence will be remembered. Uh, I've noted them all. <laughs> There's <laughs> they're a list. On the list. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Have you noticed any kind of shift in the landscape when it comes to diversity in art?
1: Yeah, I mean, you get you get the galleries who are ticking boxes. It's like tick tick. It's like come on, we can see that. But you know, at least you're doing it. But you are literally ticking a box. But there is a shift there's a lot of younger galleries but also there's been a lot of galleries from like the generation before me that have been approaching me we've been having dialogue and conversations about how it can change and that's been great because I do think dialogue you know without dialogue there is no change yeah. so it's very important that we've had these discussions and I think it's about setting a standard and that is a standard that everyone can do and it shouldn't be any less There's no reason not to. And what do you think could be
0: done to level the playing field more so that new artists coming in don't have the same experience that you did?
1: There needs to be a standard set. At Guts, we have a code of conduct, and it's just like, that is it. Anything less, not good enough, do you know what I mean? But also other galleries around us have started doing it. Like, not using the word represent, because represent means to speak on behalf of someone. How can you speak on behalf of someone? You're champion. There's different ways of working... But at the end of the day, the educational system needs to be really looked at, re-evaluated, just sorted out. And then that will, in turn, you know, help the art world.
0: And then obviously running a gallery probably means that there's less time for you to create art yourself. So I was wondering how you are channelling your own artistic energy.
1: I always say gut is my practice. You know, it's everything that I was doing, really. But it's not that funny. (laughs) (laughs) It's not as funny anymore, but it's political. It's, you know, standing up for people. It's a community. It's everything that I want within a practice. And i put that into a business almost, but it's way more than that. i got no time to be doing Theresa May's culture.
0: (laughs) So what's next for you and your work with Guts Gallery?
1: So we are expanding, so I'm going to champion and support more artists, so it's time to do that. We are looking for different spaces. We've got so many shows coming up. We want to go abroad. It's just, it's going really well. Yeah. I'm really pleased where it's going. And for the first time in my life as well, I'm stable, which is weird. It's a really weird feeling to be stable with a job that you love. And for artists to be able to pay the rent from their like, artwork, mm-hmm. it's it's a really, you know, again, a privileged situation that I'm in, but it, it doesn't stop. Like, I'm, I've got a lot of work to still do you know there's a lot of dismantling to be done still like (laughs) i'm not stopping
0: (laughs) amazing incredible um thank you so much for joining me this podcast is part of selfridge's ongoing exploration of the most exciting individuals and ideas in the arts Tune in each week for more thought-provoking discussions and keep an eye on superculture at Selfages.com for mood-boosting events, art films and interviews that continue to explore the importance of culture. This is a Radio Wolfgang production and featured Ellie Penick. The producers were Cass Denton, Holly Aquilina, Palama Kaufman, with sound design by Ivor Manley. The executive producer was Ellie DiMartino.